Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi. This is Alonso Nunez of sunny San Diego, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast. And thank you to Alonso Nunez in San Diego that you heard there introducing the show. David's here. Hello, David. Hello, how are we doing? We're doing good. Thank you, David. How are you doing? More to the point. Very good. I've just enjoyed uh, watching Andy Murray win from a from a match point down again, which I was thinking when it was happening is exactly the thing that hasn't happened for the last two years. And I'm quite sure I thought that about two or three weeks ago as well when it was against Berrettini. So I quite enjoyed all that. Well, you're now making me question my hypothesis, which was that Matt, hello Matt, uh, did the hello. tweet that just came out on our tennis podcast feed uh, about Andy Murray beating Italians from match point down. He's shaking his head. Was it you, David? You did a stat. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's a two-point stat. <laughs> what, doing Doing that twice in 2023 when we're only a few weeks into 2023, is is stat-worthy, I think. It, it is. It is uh, epics only for Andy Murray in, in 2023, I think. I mean, I don't know how David has done that because we have been on a video call with David since that match ended and I haven't seen him do anything that might resemble tweeting. He's, he's stealth, <laughs> that man. Mm. Very strange because I do not think of you, David, as one of the world's great multitaskers. There's you've got a lot of no. skills. I would I wouldn't put multitasking up there. No, I think I think that's fair. Um, apart from when I stopped us getting hacked mid podcast yes. once in one of our mm. social media accounts, but um, but on this particular occasion, you may have noticed that I didn't actually start the the conversation until the very second that Andy Murray had won. Giving me just enough time to tweet the news. We were in the waiting room while you were waiting for that. Yes. Yeah, we were. Um, not as glamorous a place as it sounds, folks, the uh, the StreamYard <laughs> waiting room. Uh, anyway, tennis has been happening. We're going to talk about all of it on, uh, on this pod. Uh, that is brought to you with On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider, 
There are only two weeks to go until they bring us, the tennis podcast, all three of us, to the BNP Paribas Open in Indian Wells for the first time as a crew. Uh, and I, I use crew there in the uh, sort of film and TV industry mm-hmm. sense, not in the in any way cool group of people sense. But maybe we'll, maybe we'll become cool. Uh, in the California desert, who knows? Uh, on location, owns Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours, which has been organising amazing holidays, uh, vacations to our American friends, to the biggest tennis tournaments uh, for decades. The link to check out what they have to offer is in our show notes and in our newsletter, which will go out this week. Uh, on location, are offering a 5% discount code to all friends of the tennis podcast on all Steve Fergal's international tennis tours throughout 2023. So if you would like to attempt to be a cool crew as well, uh, then become a friend and check out the discount code. Uh, You've got one more week to take advantage of that offer. And David has booked his golf clubs onto the plane. That's our big Indian Wells news week. I've never done it before. I've never gone anywhere with golf clubs before. So um, I did have to look up how you do it. <laughs> and, uh, and and I've, I, think I've, I think I've made it work. So um, yeah, let's see if they actually turn up at the appointed time. I've been looking at, I've, I actually, Matt, I asked Catherine to see if she could help me find some golf courses. And she did a four second check and discovered we were surrounded by six golf courses. So uh, um, I think we're all right. Yeah, there's more golf course than there is anything else in uh, in Indian Wells. I mean, you, you can't can't move for golf course, courses. So uh, I think that you'll be fine. Uh, now, in terms of tennis happening, uh, well, literally right now, actually, I've just put the stream of Elena Rabakina against Bianca Andreescu uh, onto my TV, which quite ludicrously is a first round match in Dubai. Uh, absolutely ridiculous, but but brilliant. Uh, Rebecca has taken the opening set there, 6-3. Let's talk about what happened last week, though, starting in Doha. The WTA 500 event there won by Iga Svantec for the second consecutive year for the loss of just, wait for it, folks, this, this this is an accurate stat. I know you're going to hear me say it and you're going to think, that can't be right. She lost five games all tournament and she played really good opposition <laughs> uh, a buy yeah. in the first round okay that's that's not great opposition let's do away with buys uh second round six love six one over danielle collins <laughs> who beat her in the australian open semi-finals last year quarterfinal okay a walkover against Belinda Bencic. Um, I had reported on the podcast last week that Belinda Bencic wasn't playing Doha, having won the week before, probably shouldn't have played Doha. Anyway, semi-final, 6-love, six 6-1 six against Veronica Kudamatova. I'll say that again, 6-love, six 6-1 six against the very good tennis player Veronica Kudamatova. And the final, 6-3-6-love six, six against Jessica Pagula, who did go on to win the uh, the doubles title alongside Coco Goff, which means that the singles and doubles champions in 2023 are exactly the same as in 2022. And 
I think this is quite a significant win for Igor Svantec because Doha was where the streak started last year. This is where she is starting to defend her position as the dominant player in the world. This kind of marks the year anniversary of her becoming that. We didn't characterise it as that exactly at the time because, you know, we didn't have the benefit of hindsight. But we know now that this week last year was the start of something huge for Iga Svantec and for tennis. And and I, I, I'm not saying that she's going to go on the same streak again and, and defend all those titles. Look, she might. But I think starting off that defence in this way, given what she told us about her state of mind in Australia, I think is really big for her. Hmm. I, I do too. And, and actually, it does remind me that she was pretty serene and phlegmatic about things in that press conference after the defeat she had in Australia. She didn't seem to think it was going to be a massive problem going forwards, but at the same time, it was a problem in the moment. It was a problem at this tournament, but she was able to sort of sort it out. And the next one that, that she played is, is, is what she would she expected to be able to do. I mean, and, and boy, did she. I mean, this was extraordinary, this, this level of form. And, and it was just a reminder that when she plays well, when she's at the top of her game, she is the best. And I mean, I guess Arena Sabalenka may have an argument to say, well, hold on, what about, what about me? I played my best and won the Australian Open. But nobody beats people for the loss of one game repeatedly when they're top players. That isn't a fluke, what she has just pulled off. Uh, she, uh, Yes, she had a, a bye. Yes, she had a, a, a walkover due to an injury. But she's beaten three world-class players and just kind of humiliated them. And it's uh, it was a, simultaneously a bit awkward, but also if you're a fan of just majestic brilliance it was it was a joyful experience as well I bet Danielle Collins was relieved to see the scoreline of Shontek against Veronica Kudamatova and, and similarly yeah. against Jessica Begula in the final because at the time when you know that was Shontek's first match of the tournament wasn't it having had the bye in the first round you thought it looked I mean obviously brilliant for Shontek but yeah embarrassing Danielle Collins, but it turns out she was just, you know, that was just par for Svantec mm. last week. Whereas Blinda Benchich knew, she just took one look at Svantec <laughs> and thought, I am out of here. I'm not having any of this. Uh, and yeah, I mean, to be fair, I was actually looking forward to that match because I'd, I'd watched, um, I'd watched. I'd watched Benchich come back from a set and a breakdown against Azarenka, and it was one of those really gritty wins that we talked about her having a lot the previous week. And I thought, right, I want to see this Benchich against that Sviontek that we saw in mm. her first match. And I think I think that would have been interesting. But yeah, we obviously didn't get to see it. Um, absolutely ag- agree with everything you said about Igor Sviontek and, and the importance of this win coming back from Australia. I I had a look at some historical context for her run this week and only losing five games and you know I, I thought is that a record and I was sort of set out to try and find out whether it was and without access to a proper sort of database that the WTA have or the ITF have it's really hard to find to find that out you literally have to 
go through draws. And I was thinking, right, I'm going to I'm going to start with players like Monica Selesh and Steffi Graf and Chris Everett, because they used to literally just trounce people all the time. Anyway, while I was doing all that, WTA notes popped up in my email and they and they had it there and there for me. They had they had done the work to confirm that this was the fewest games ever lost en route to a WTA title. I think the important thing to note is what we said, only three matches. Now, there are there are two examples of players only losing seven games. One of them was Conchita Martinez only lost seven games in four matches when she won in Hamburg in 1995. What I like about this is that five of the seven games that she lost were in the first round. <laughs> And then from then on, she won 6-1, 6 love in the quarters, double bagel in the semis, and then beat a 14-year-old Martina Hingis in her first WTA final, 6-1, six, 6-love six, in the final. Oh and then I think probably the most impressive is Chris Everett only losing seven games in five matches when she won uh, in Lugano in 1981. There were two double bagels in that run. So, um, yeah, she's she's in that kind of company, Igor Svantec, with, uh, with this win in, in Doha. She's just head and shoulders above everyone else, it seems, when she plays like this. And especially, I think, in these conditions, like I think slower courts generally... And also, it was really windy, certainly in, in the last couple of rounds. And with her spin and her control on the ball, it just seems like she can still do what she wants in those conditions, whereas other players are really having to adjust and make changes and it just disrupts them. But she can she can cope with it. It is such a low-key power tool, isn't it? Uh, being able to play in the wind. I always think of Andy Murray mm. having having that skill and obviously Nadal probably the the best wind player of all time on the men's side it's you know it's not it's not a sexy tool but it is it, it when you need it you really need it and and in her case she was having a, a huge disparity in the final between when it was behind her and when it was into mm. the headwind and and she seemed to be relishing that difference Whereas you've got Pagula, who, when she got the wind behind her, you, you like her balls are just flying off the strings, and she was clearly having to try to keep keep it within in order to use the wind but not overhit. Whereas Sviantek looked like she she almost had a setting in her racket that she was flicking between the two sides of the court, and one one plays with the wind, one plays against it, and she looked like she could she looked like she couldn't miss. <laughs> it's just amazing. I have such respect for p- players that can play well in the wind. And, and and I speak as someone who cancelled sort of a game of tennis last week because blustery conditions were on the forecast. I was, I was supposed to be playing with your brother, Catherine. And we sort of agreed between us that, nah, it's not going to be any fun in those conditions. Let's let's save it for a better day. And I know that is I know that is pathetic of us, probably, and people are probably eye rolling as they listen to this. But you know, I hate playing in the wind so much. And um yeah, that's one of many reasons why I'm why I'm not a pro tennis player, I suppose. Well, you and Novak Djokovic both, he doesn't like it much either. I mean he does That's tend true. to I am you know, not, company, not pull out when he sees a bad weather <laughs> forecast, but he doesn't love it. 
Um, just quickly casting our minds back to United Cup for a second and, and the beautiful sun of, of Australia, how long ago that feels. Um, and Jessica Bagula beating Iga Svantec. Remembering that match, remembering what we had to say about it afterwards, analysis-wise, we we weren't heralding it as her necessarily turning that match up on its head, were we? She she did that by just hitting a massive purple patch, um, as I recall, and being able to to sustain it crucially. So, is it no great surprise that she's 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 not still getting close to to peak Igishvontek or peak ish Igishvontek. Or do we think that was most likely uh, an anomaly? That result. Like I think we definitely credited the conditions at the time, and and they felt big. And and there were three big factors in particular. One, it was indoors. Two, it was extremely quick. And three, Sviontek had, had had to travel from a different location to go, I think, to Sydney, wasn't it, where that match was played. And the conditions were a little bit different. Pagula had been in Sydney the whole time, had sort of adapted to them. Um, so I definitely think there were a lot of factors for why Pagula won that compared to her previous uh, matches against Sviontek. And this does feel like a more of a reversion to what we're used to seeing in, in in that matchup i i guess i guess in, and in this in this instance the conditions were much more in Igor Svontek's favor like i i thought the scoreline would be closer than 636 love i felt like if anyone could could get a little bit closer to Svontek it it would be pagula especially um especially with what pagula did to Svontek's serve in in the united cup she she just absolutely dominated it and you know that's that's before the rallies have started I felt like maybe that would would still be sustainable but Iga Svantec did point out that she'd really been working on her serve in the last three weeks she said um, her serve on court and her sort of mental approach off court has been what she's been focusing on and yeah she's maybe just tightened that up um, but yeah I, I guess I would expect to see some slightly tighter score lines than 6-3-6 love going forward between these two but I definitely think you know when they're both playing well, Sviontek is is going to be the one winning winning that matchup most of the time. Speaking of reversions to things we're used to seeing, uh, Bianca Andrescu medical timeout currently happening on my oh, screen. Yeah. Don't need that. Yeah, and on a different body part to... Uh, last time I saw her receiving a medical timeout was in Hua Hin in the semi-final there where she ended up uh, retiring. Or was it... A no, it was the semi-final, wasn't it? Um, ended up retiring. Um, and it was... I can't remember what body part it was, but it was a different body part to this one. It's not It's not going well for Andrescu at the moment. Was, I am. Was it, was it shoulder neck area in... In Hin, I think. Oh well, th this this is she, it is her shoulder slash neck that she's having. I feel like okay. massaged is not a an accurate depiction of of what I'm seeing. Um, man handled, woman handled. Anyway, uh, does, doesn't look, uh, our idea does, of a massage is different to different. tennis players on court, isn't it? <laughs> we, we 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 like the we've got the idea of a sort of spa treatment. Haven't we? <laughs> when, when you talk about massaged. <laughs> 
Um, let's head to Rotterdam, shall we now? And the ATP 500 event that was happening there this week, Daniel Medvedev winning it 5-7-6-2-6-2 in the final over Yannick Sinner, um, who was brilliant in that first set, wasn't he, Sinner? Pretty much a, a perfect set from Yannick Sinner and so perfect it, it felt a little bit unsustainable at the time, didn't it? And there was that, I don't know, you saw the experience of Daniil Medvedev, didn't you? I felt like I saw, saw inside his mind where he was going, okay, keep it up, kid. Keep it up. I'll, I'll be here. <laughs> um, and he was there and he showed some real resilience, which is what I'm been longing to see from Daniil Medvedev. I know it's indoors. I know it's best of three sets. I know it's not... Novak Djokovic as opposition, but you know, baby steps for for Medvedev. This is significant, I think. Yeah, I, I thought it was significant because that, and actually, I think all three sets were significant in as much as Yannick Sinner showed a top level that I think maybe is higher than I've seen before in terms of he took it to Medvedev and he just he dealt with Medvedev's base game. And he was a better player in that first set. He was more powerful. He was more assertive. He wasn't just being reactive. I, I feel like I'm seeing an impact of of a coach in the way he's going about his business, going to the net a lot more. He's got Dan Cahill as, as his coach, who, I, who who is somebody who played that way, went to the net a lot. And that doesn't necessarily mean you coach a player that way, but I think he sees that that is an element of the game that, that Sinner could improve upon. But just generally, he wasn't just being reactive. He was taking it to uh, Medvedev. And although Sinner's always hit the ball hard, I think that there's more purpose about how he's hitting it hard now. And and that I think he was understanding in his mind, I'm not going to outlast this guy, so I'm going to have to take it from him. So at the end of that first set, I really think Sinner is going to win the match. And look, he lost the next two sets comfortably, 6-2, 6-2. I felt like the second set, Medvedev stood up to him, really refused to re- rely on the base game and wait for Sinner to come back to him. He took it from him. And then I feel like maybe that shocked Sinner a bit. And... uh and and fatigue perhaps played played a part because that's two weeks in a row that he's gone all the way. But I thought they were both really impressive in their own respective ways. And you know, you might say that Sinner losing from a setup without winning many games is a bit of a concern. But I'd say it's more that Medvedev took it from him and Sinner ran a little bit out of gas. I don't know what you two think. Yeah, I was really impressed with. Yannick Sinner this week. I think I think it was big for him to get a win over Sitsipas, as he did. Um, I think it was it was quite early on in the tournament, wasn't it? That that those two met, and he's just starting to have a bit more success now against Sitsipas. Like, like I know he lost their match at the Australian Open, but it was really really close. And here he was like flawless in that match. And you know those two could be rivals for for a few years. So I think it's important that he's sort of started to turn that head-to-head round a little bit. Uh, and then he and he kept up that level, certainly in the first set against Medvedev, as you said, David. I, I just feel like for Sinner, he really needs to win one of these matches against one of the absolute top players when he's playing well. You know, two sets up on Djokovic at Wimbledon last year. That incredible match against Alcaraz at the US Open, leading Medvedev by a set in the final, like... 
there've been some instances where he's he's shown how well he can play. He's just not necessarily closing, finishing it off. But you know, I think the level is there. And then as for Medvedev, well, I just think I was trying to figure out how different this was to Vienna last year, which was when I thought Medvedev was back because he won that title at end of the end of the season. And he and he played well. And I think what what makes this one different is the resilience that you said. Like like I know he came back from a set down in the final in in Vienna last year against Shapovalov, but all due respect, that's Shapovalov. Like he, he can he can just Fl- play flaky. a good set. And yeah, exactly. Like I, I don't think he necessarily needed to really dig in as hard against Shapovalov as he had to against. Sinner, and he only came back from a set down to win twice in the whole of last year, Medvedev, and he did it twice this tournament. Uh, I, I think the resilience is is coming back. Um, so physically strong, like that was a sixty-seven minute first set that Sinner won, and exactly as you said, it just felt like Medvedev was like, okay, well, do that again if you're going to try and beat me, and and Sinner couldn't, and Sinner, I think, was was physically a little bit weary towards the end of that match, whereas whereas Medvedev looked looked really, really strong to me. So I guess my assessment is that this does feel different to Vienna last year, and I hope so, because I really want Medvedev to be back to his best. And and I think another sign, sorry, as well, that, that this is a bit different is he got his first top 10 win in like 12 or 13 months when he beat Ali Asim. Like there were just a lot of good signs that Medvedev, um, Medvedev is, is coming back to his, his best. Very sweet speech. Wasn't there from Medvedev in Rotterdam about how his, he hoped his four month old daughter would, would be watching him and, and enjoying <laughs> it. And how his wife had told him that she, she had, she had, smiled she had been reported to have smiled was what she was seeing her dad on uh, on tv look uh, i i don't know enough about babies developments to be able to confirm or deny whether that is possible but um yeah that is it's it's a very sweet thought and something I love that they do during the ceremony in, in Rotterdam, it's a very sort of modern take on a sort of engraving a trophy. You know how they've got all the names um, of the previous champions sort of around the court in Rotterdam. I think it's a really cool tradition. Like, you know, you're playing and you can you can see all the great names and they and they sort of add added Medvedev's name to that ring of champions during the ceremony. I thought it was a, a really nice oh, touch. Great. It always feels like always feels mm. like Rotterdam really gets those little little touches just right, I think. Yeah, you can see that all around, can't you? I mean, it, for, what is it, 50 years of the tournament now? And, and I was noticing even before the final, I, I had the stream up sort of 10 minutes before the, the, the actual players came out and the show they put on, the singers they have, the music, the, there's such a lot of thought and care and attention goes into that tournament. Mm. Yeah, he's uh, he's off to play in Doha this week is Medvedev, which I've been keeping an eye on a few players this time of year and seeing how just been slightly concerned about how much tennis they're playing, but that doesn't concern me so much from Medvedev because he's, he's been playing less because he's been winning less. Like, I mean, Mm. okay. He's not really had an off season. Has he, that concerns me a bit, but he did look mentally fresher 
this week. So maybe he's at that stage in the balance where actually he needs to keep playing and keep up the momentum um, if he feels like he's got enough in the tank. Um, Does Yannick Sinner need to get in a lift with David Law and ask (laughs) why, why do I lose all the close matches? Um, only for David to offer him absolutely no wisdom whatsoever. <laughs> and yet turn him into one of the greatest of all time. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. claim credit for 100% the 20 grand success rate so far. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't, I, I'm quite interested to know what you think about that point and also one other. First of all, I personally, I'm not worried about Yannick Sinner in that regard. I think he's going to get a win over one of these guys. I think he's getting closer. I think he's got the perfect coach for him, for his development, for him to take. You know, some players are really, really good players, but I question if they don't make a change, whether they're ever going to make the next step. And I think that Sinner has got the perfect coach to help him make the next step. And the other one is on the question of, isn't the question more something you've been asking earlier in the week, Catherine, about playing too much, about the sheer amount of of tournaments that Yannick Sinner's playing? Holger Rune, I remember when we were in Australia, he somebody somebody detailed his his planned schedule for the next couple of months, and, and it's just every week. I mean, I, I'm yeah, so on the fence and he, about, and he got injured so this week, didn't this. he? With 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 an injury that. I think he sustained in Melbourne, didn't he? We saw him fall over in Melbourne and and injure his wrist. And um, yeah, that's what caused him to to retire this week um, in Rotterdam as well. And I had looked at that planned schedule and I thought, that's an awful lot of tennis. And I don't know. I know there's a balance. I know that he genuinely just loves playing tennis and he's at that stage of his career where he just wants to to play and see you know discovering his powers see see mm. how high he can fly it must be an irresistible feeling when it all feels like it's upside but equally i'm conscious that and look i i i this is based on no specific knowledge of him whatsoever other th- other than sort of general knowledge of how tennis works this will be the first season that he's been offered appearance fees for playing these yeah. sorts of levels of tournament, you know, anything anything below a thousand and Holgeruna will be getting appearance fees. And that's, you know, he'll have never had that before. That they're generally a lot of money and it must feel like, oh my goodness, I get to play tennis and and regardless of how I do, someone's giving me a hefty check just to be there. I mean you know, who who of us could could genuinely say, well, you know, we'd be turning all of that down. So I'm not saying that is the primary motivation or I, I don't know how big a motivation it is for, for Holger Runa or for any other player in his situation. Yannick Sinner will probably be getting appearance fees as well, although I would guess slightly less than Runa's getting just at the moment. But it, I'm conscious that it's there. And it is part mm. of the And picture. they're supporting the tour as well. I mean, it's something mm. that we've often listened to Billie Jean King and Chris Evert and Martina Avratilova say. And obviously they had a they had a heck of a lot more at stake in terms of supporting a tour than, than these guys do. And I don't really think that it's necessarily what goes through Yannick Sinner and Holger Runa's mind. I need to support the tour. But there is an offshoot benefit to the fact that they are playing and these are really, really good tournaments and therefore they're getting good fields as well. So, you know, I, that's why I feel so so 
torn about it because I do think that they they could be doing their chances of of peaking at the big tournaments harm by what they're doing. But there's a plus point to it as well. So I don't really know what's the best thing. Well, Sinner's off to play in Marseille this uh, this week, and if he if 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 a certain art of feast remember him from was it last week a week we were talking ago about Artifice? Yep. Yeah. um <laughs> if he wins his first round match uh then he'll play Yannick Sinner in round two and as much Ooh. as I've just been sort of discouraging Yannick Sinner from playing tournaments like Marseille uh big yes please <laughs> to that one uh I hope it happens <laughs> so thank you Yannick Sinner for playing he and Hubert Hercatch are the top seeds in Marseille this week. Let's head south now, folks. Let's fly south for the winter to Buenos Aires and a tournament that was won by Carlos Alcaraz. He is back, folks. Beat Cameron Norrie 6375 in the final. Uh, not only is Carlos Alcaraz back, but the Alcarazmataz WhatsApp group is back with a bang. <laughs> David Law was the hype dampener on that whatsapp group this week how mm. how does that very very new role feel to you david weird weird but <laughs> i feel like and because i couldn't have been more excited about the tennis that that carlos alcaraz played last week i i i watched all of his matches i was jumping around the kitchen while I got it on the iPad while I'm doing the cooking, just because he he takes my breath away unlike any other player in terms of what he's able to do and and frankly the frequency with which he does it because he's always looking to do it on his backhand and forehand and with his movement everything feels explosive and spectacular and exciting and and breathtaking and uh, it was all there. I mean, okay. I think maybe one or two of the matches actually I watched on highlights. Therefore, I'm only seeing the good bits. And the, I did quite long the, highlights, the though, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, I did note the commentators saying, you know, there's there's an element of some of his play that is erratic, and he's missing some as well. Which, you know, of course, when you're taking that degree of risk with your shot making and you're going that hard and that close to the lines you're going to miss I think the bigger concern for me second half of last year a the main thing is injuries obviously but there were there was a period from the French Open for a couple of months where he was he it was like he would suddenly lose his game lose his ability to to be consistent and get these balls in well I, I mean I watched all the final last night against Cameron Norrie a good player you know and I just thought the guy is able to 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 harness and control this power at the moment and it was it was amazing yeah i think when we're thinking about scheduling as well like to me this feels like quite smart scheduling from alcaraz to like make his make his comeback here um it feels like he's really you know already got that winning feeling back you know it was it was a draw that he felt like he he should win and and, and did win and in that final against Nori like I've seen Nori play a lot of tennis matches and you know there are players who have much bigger games than Nori and yet still find it really hard to 
to put him away and, and, and beat him. It, it's always pretty much a grind against Norrie. And I know that he managed to make that second set close in the end, but there was a middle portion of that match where Alcaraz was just cutting through Norrie, kind of like you don't see that many players do at all. And, you know, for him to finish it on that sort of signature shot of the of the forehand drop shot, I thought was like a nice sort of, yep, Carlos Alcaraz is back moment as well. And yeah, just yeah. Um, just the whole thing was like really, uh, really impressive from Alcaraz. I just loved it. I just loved watching him play like that. I know it's 250. I know it's on clay and he's going to have to switch to hard courts and who knows whether he'll be able to carry that form on. Who knows if he'll be able to carry it on into this week where he's playing Rio um, and he'll probably have to play Cam Norrie again in the final because they're the top two seeds and it's just sort of, let's do this again. Um, <laughs> but I just loved it. It's great to have him back. It is, look, it's awful when anyone suffers with, with injuries that keeps them on the sidelines. But when it happens just as you reach your highest peak and when you're so young and when everything seems so exciting, when you get sort of brought down to earth like that, it's, I mean, obviously more crushing for him, but very selfishly pretty crushing for us as viewers that it, we just got used to him just being reliably there and being a part of our week in, week out tennis watching lives and enriching them so much that you know this time last year taking Carlos Alcaraz out of the picture would have missed him but but it wouldn't have been a a cavernous gaping hole but it it has felt like that a bit we really missed him at the Australian Open didn't we and it's incredibly great to have him back yeah it is and can I tell you who else doesn't know uh, whether whether Alcaraz is is going to be able to sustain this? Because off the back of uh, Alcaraz Mataz discussions, and you know the phrase French Open was was being banded about a lot in that chat, and you know conversation turned whether he could win it. I was I was having a I was having a play around uh, yesterday with Chat GPT. And and I asked ChatGPT, can Carlos Alcaraz win the 2023 French Open? And um, I must say, it's it's quite funny that this sort of artificial intelligence language bot that seems to be really sort of progressive and, and amazing. I would say it really needs to update its uh, tennis knowledge because there were some <laughs> there were some very outdated references when I when I put in Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, it first of all said that it's that he's won three ATP titles, including Umag, and I'm like, I'm, I think he's got some bigger career highlights. And uh, <laughs> and it said it said he's defeated some of the top players in the world, including Stefanos Tsitsipas and Roberto Bautista Agu, who you know is is just pleased to be there really and uh in terms of the French Open it mentioned his uh third round loss to Jan Lennart Struff in 2021 but then it said of course he will be up against top tough competition from other players but if he can stay healthy and continue to progress he could definitely be in the mix for the title hey. <laughs> You've done ChatGPT GPT a favour there, Matt, by your annoying, vague uh, phrasing of the question. Of course, he can win the French Open. He could have won <laughs> last know, year's I should have been French more Open. Punch. He just didn't. 
That's very David Law of you and Can, can I ask one very important question on probably quite a few of our listeners' behalf? What is Oh, Chat everyone G- knows what ChatGPT. My mum's no, using ChatGPT, David. No, they don't. <laughs> I've never used it until you mentioned it in passing a couple of days ago. I'd never heard of it. What is it? It's m- machine learning uh, software that's freely available and has just dropped and has changed all of our lives without us realizing it. Um, right. It can approximate with varying degrees of accuracy. For example, I, I asked ChatGPT to write an article in the style of Simon Briggs, and it did quite a good job. <laughs> okay, that that is quite that is quite worthwhile. That, that's very funny. I also asked who can stop Shiontech, and it gave me a very sad list of players saying. Uh, some players who have a good chance of stopping Shiontech on any given day include other top-ranked players like Ash Barty, Naomi Osaka, oh, Simona Halep, and Irina Savalenka, among others. And look, there are some problems with three of those for very different reasons. So it's a comedian. <laughs> look, tennis is hard to keep up with, David, even for no, a very intelligent bit of tell it to listen to the tennis podcast yeah need to listen to the tennis podcast maybe it will um so Carlos Alcaraz goes on to Rio to just 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 tell us why you're you're dampening the the hype a little bit David well I mean I think on the upside watching him this week made me remember that as brilliant as he was last year, that was not the finished article. That was teenage version Carlos Alcaraz, and I th- and he's going to get better. He's going to become a better match player. He's going to understand the sport more. It, he, he's got so much further to go. The, the 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 worry is the physicality. The worry is his his body just breaking down. It broke down a few times, and I mean he he gave a very interesting interview. I thought on the court after winning that title in Buenos Aires, where he he said he kind of alluded to having done the wrong thing during the layoff. He, he apologised, didn't he? Yeah, he said, mm. I, feel, I feel guilty. I feel guilty that I was off during this period of time from the tour. And kind of it was my fault is the gist of it. And look, we don't know whether his body can stand what he's putting it through. Now, the same conversations were had uh 20 years ago about Andy Roddick with his serve how can a how can a shoulder cope with what Andy Roddick is doing to it well it did cope for the vast majority of his career people said the same about Rafael Nadal how can those knees and the rest of his physique stand up to what he's putting it through well here he is 20 years on and he's still going so I'm hopeful but it's a long long way until the French Open and and I still look I think Carlos Alcaraz is top level. It's different to Novak Djokovic, but it's it's just as devastating, arguably more, because he doesn't rely on you doing something. He just takes it from you. But things a lot could go wrong. He, he's uh, math uh, in our Alcaraz Matas group chat this week. Put his finger on why Alcaraz is so important, I think, to men's tennis and important as a 
potential rival to Novak Djokovic because he can do something against Djokovic that nobody else now can do, which is the Vavrinkian thing of being able to hit winners from several metres behind the baseline. Not just hang in points from several metres by the baseline, but have the strength to hit winners from back there. Um, so the sort of the Djokovic tactic of just pushing you, pushing you further and further back, it's it's less effective. And that you know, seeing that sort of Superman versus Kryptonite um, dynamic is, I, I just want to see it. I want to see it over yeah. and over again. I want to see them try and figure once, one, one another out. And it was incredible, David. It was absolutely mm. incredible and the thing is he's also got the speed to go toe to toe side to side to get back in rallies the way Djokovic can but then take over with an acceleration and injection of power that I don't think even Djokovic has and then he's got the the softest butter drop shot which is just oh what a combination if he can figure out his game well enough and stay fit oh my word and we saw Alcaraz Djokovic in Madrid and it was incredible but Madrid is an outlier of a tournament in that in that clay court swing you know because of the altitude it generally doesn't normally sort of forecast that well for Roland Garros you know Rome tends to Mm. be the one where people say conditions are a lot more similar and yeah I mean I think David was only dampening hype in terms of whether he might win the French Open <laughs> like I still think you know we, we, the fact we're even talking about that is a lot of hype yeah I mean I, I mean Matt was watching Matt was watching it saying well just and just close the competition now like no give him the trophy now <laughs> and yeah it did which is what I was saying a year looked, ago <laughs> sort of turn it looked like nobody could beat it of course it did but you know a Novak Djokovic makes people unable to play their top level. Um, B, Rafael Nadal has won 14. Oh, <laughs> don't, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't care how injured he is. He's, he's won 14 of them. And C, it's a lot to sustain. And he's, you know, been a question mark since he won the US Open. So I I logically understand all the reasons not to be on board the hype train, but also toot toot. Uh, in uh, Let's Party Like It's 2008 news uh, Simone Bellelli and Fabio Fanini won the doubles title in Buenos Aires maybe 2008 is a bit harsh but definitely the past that feels like a result from the past yeah that's going back a bit Um, uh... well done to them Uh, heading now to Delray Beach a tournament that I've been to many a time because it used to feature on the ATP Champions Tour. Uh, the ATP and the, the Champions Tour event would run uh, in tandem over the opening weekend of the tournament and a truly delightful place to visit. I used to love my little trips to, to Delray Beach. Uh, won this year by Taylor Fritz. He beat Mimi Ketsmanovic, 6-love, 5-7, 6-2 in the final. It's a title that will propel Taylor Fritz inside the world's top five. Does that feel feel right to you? Taylor Fritz, top five player. How does that sound? Like, does I, it, I think it's about is, right. Is he yeah, in your I, mind a top five player? 
Yeah, and actually, I think his Grand Slam performances have been really disappointing the last two, and I think he would agree with that. I think losing as he did to it was um, Brandon Holt, Holt in New York. Brandon Holt. <laughs> Sorry, Tracy. Brandon Holt. Jordan um, Holt won our predictions competition last year. <laughs> right, Jordan. Uh, He's going to be thrilled yeah. with that shout out. Yeah. He's got, got a mention out of the blue. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, Really up oh the ante word. on the shout out the, front there, David. And, and the sensation in uh, in Australia who defeated him Alexi by the name Popperin. of uh, Alexi Popperin, yeah. Um, I've had a bit of a flare for the old <laughs> long COVID folks in this 24 hours. Um, but uh, no, I mean, it's, it is extraordinary what... Um, what what Fritz has done on the tour, but that those were two really disappointing Grand Slam results. When when I had him going deep, and he had himself going deep as well, but generally speaking, I think of him now as a top player and somebody who needs to now reproduce it. I mean, and winning Delray Beach is exactly what he should be doing, and he did it. So good good for him. I I, I think he'll do well at some of the Masters 1000 between now and the French, but he should be doing well at all the... He should be comfortably second week, deep into the second week of all the Grand Slams with his game. Yeah, like, I think there are at least five players whose whose top level is is higher than Taylor Fritz, and if that's how rankings were done, then Taylor Fritz wouldn't probably be be in my top five. But given the way the rankings are done, he's become incredibly consistent on tour. And he's also done this a lot recently, which is win titles. Like I think he had, I think he used to have a really bad record in, in finals, but he's turned it around um, in, in the last year or so, obviously starting in Indian Wells last year. And he sort of, he sort of carried that on just picking up titles just pretty regularly as, as the season's gone on. And that that's to his immense credit. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just all about the slams now for him, isn't it? And and trying to trying to push, you know, go deep in a slam and, and certainly avoid these uh, these really early exits. Yeah, he's got such a different problem to Yannick Sinner, doesn't he? I mean, he I definitely don't think of him as somebody that loses the close matches. I think I really trust him in the tight spots. He's got this great tiebreak record, this even better deciding set tiebreak record, doesn't he? You know, he's he's. I suppose we can use the term because he is American. He's clutch, isn't he, Taylor Fritz? I, I, I hated how that sounded coming out of my mouth. I regretted it instantly. I take Check it back. But the, the, the point is made. Um, that's not. That's definitely not the issue for Taylor Fritz. It's sort of just not showing up weirdly. I suppose he, sh- he showed up against Brandon Holt, didn't he? Um, and he, yeah, that's too simplistic to say not showing up, but. I don't know. Yeah, things to prove. Things to prove at Grand Slam. We haven't. It's it's a good title. Well done, Taylor Fritz. Being a top five player is a big deal. We didn't learn anything about him this week, I think, is uh, is what I'm getting at. Uh, the doubles title in Delray was won by Marcelo Aravalo and Jean-Julien Roger. They beat Reese Stolder and Rinky Hijikata in the final, hey. David. Your favourite. Half a sensation. Yeah. Half a He's sensation. He's very much a... F- He's a fully fledged sensation in my eyes. No, no, I mean, I mean, the doubles team as a whole was <laughs> okay. half a sensation. Missing right. a key Jason Kubler ingredient to win the yeah. title. Yeah, that's what would have got him <laughs> over the line. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. One other little story for you from Delray Beach, which I really like. Um, and it's come to us via the Delray Beach media director, Tony Woods, who got in touch with us to alert us uh, to Mattia Petsetich, ranked 784 in the world. He qualified for his first ever ATP main draw at the Delray Beach Open at the age of 33. He's a former All-American at Princeton. Uh, he was three times named the Ivy League Player of the Year. Um, he would later use time during an extended illness to attend Harvard Business School. Um, so after graduating, he set a goal to play full-time for 12 months to get into the top 250. And if he didn't make it, he would give up on tennis. And after six months, he was on track, ranked about 320 in the world. But then, and I don't know if anybody remembers this, but a pandemic hit. Um, Billy Jean, shush. And the tour was shut down. So at this stage, he's a 10-time winner on the ITF circuit and he decided to call it a day, call it a career, went to work full-time at a Palm Beach real estate investment company, still hitting balls before work, sometimes with his 70-year-old boss and running after work to stay in shape just in case an opportunity comes up. That's that's what I'm thinking when I go on the peloton. I'll I'll stay in shape just in case the phone rings. You never know. You never know who who how desperate the uh, the Billie Jean King Cup team will be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but lo and behold, uh, one came last month when he was a member of the Croatian team United Cup in Australia. He grew up in Malta, but his parents are Croatian. Um, then he happened to be on site at the Delray Beach tournament, picking up rackets from the stringer 
when he got into the qualifying draw as an alternate 30 minutes before a match. So in that first qualifying match, he was leading Stefan Kozlov 7-6-5 all when Kozlov retired. Uh, in his second and final qualifying match, he came back to beat Tennis Sangren 3-6-6-3-6-2. And that put him into his first ever ATP main draw, for which he had to leave work early to play his match at 6pm, which he won. He defeated 2017 Delray champion and former world number eight Jack Sock for a first tour level win. Um, And he went to work the next day. Tony says that he sent us a video to show us and we were talking to him in between his meetings. Uh, And that evening he uh, played his next round match, lost out 6-3-6-3 to Marcus Giron. Uh, he was working with, uh, here's a random one, it, Tony says, Dominic Habati is a long-time friend of his boss, which presumably is the aforementioned 70-year-old with whom um, Mattia sometimes hits before work. And Dominic Habati was coaching him for the week. Um, he says he's keeping his day job for now, but is open to any wild cards that might come his way. It's a real sort of gives you hope story isn't it yeah it's, it's it's an interesting one as well because he is in a really big time job i mean i was reading up about the job he's got you know he's he's i think making a fortune he doesn't need to worry about anything but if he was going but he's got this dream he loves the sport he desperately wishes he kind of had made it i think and and managed to manage to make it work not had the injuries obviously running into the pandemic and 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 it derailing his his chance at maybe maybe getting back on the road and what do you do do you do you decide to give it up i mean i, I saw novak djokovic messaged him on instagram you know that it's it's like the tour is out there but it's so uncertain the tennis tour and He's got this great job, and he's thirty-three. What do you do? Do you go for it, or do you not? He's got—he hasn't got the miles on the clock that, that the article was saying. So you know, he's, he feels fresh, but it's a really interesting story to follow. I read that he hit with Djokovic uh, before one of Djokovic's U.S. Open finals against Nadal because he's a—he's a lefty, and and he was sort of chosen as mm. as as the hitting partner, you know, he played the role of, you know, trying to, trying to replicate Nadal ahead of, ahead of a US Open final that Novak Djokovic was playing against him. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing story. And, and I believe he's the second oldest player to win their first ATP match, sort of since, since those records started being kept, which was about 1990. Yeah, he's the second oldest. So just absolutely remarkable. Go for it. Go for it. I know it's very easy for me to say, but my my advice would be go for it. It it sounds like financially he's okay. I mean if it was a if it was a financial sort of livelihood risk for him, I'd say, you know, for me fair enough. Just you know. But if he's financially okay, why wouldn't you go for it? Real estate's gonna not gonna go anywhere. It's always gonna be jobs in real estate in Florida. Go for it, mate. I think it's a really cool story and I want to want to be able to follow more of it. Um, so what about this week then? I've touched upon a few bits and bobs already. Andrescu just lost to uh, Elena Rabakina. It doesn't look brilliant for Bianca Andrescu at the moment. She did have a break in that second set, but it was 
he was a bit limp in the end from her suffering from that neck shoulder injury uh shuntek's got leila fernandez in her opener we've already oh. seen is is this right matt we've already seen the two longest matches of the year and they've mm. both sort of been in the last 24 hours <laughs> yes uh yesterday we had sam sonover coming from a set down, I think, to beat Belosa. And that was the longest match of the year at the time. And then today we had Serana Castella beating uh, Beatrice Haddad Meyer in three hours, 30 minutes. And that is the new longest match of the year. Samson of now plays Zhong Xin Wen, which is an interesting one. Arena Sabalenka returns this week. And we have Efrovitova, Linda. Uh, going well. She's already beaten Danielle Collins in round one, so tough couple of weeks for for Danielle Collins. Very interesting to see how Arena Sabalenka comes out, isn't it? You know, is there any kind of letdown? Has she sort of had sufficient time to process what she did in Australia? Remember that um, French Open, the 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 Wimbledon after Simona Halep's French Open win, where she was just too happy. She was just kind of not there emotionally because she hadn't had the time to process it. You know, French Open comes around far too quickly on the heels of uh, French Open. Um, did I say French Open twice there? Wimbledon, French Open. You know what I mean, folks. <laughs> um, there is a WTA event in Mexico this week in Merida as well. 250 event, Magdalene Nett and Sloane Stevens are the top two seeds. Zhu Lin and uh, Alicia Parks are also in the draw there. They are, they're two of our ones to watch that we've picked out from the last few weeks, aren't they? We talked about uh, ATP event in Rio. Dominic Team is also in the field there, along with Carlos Alcaraz and Cam Norrie. It's, it's grim viewing Dominic Team at the moment, isn't it? I've been the most hopeful of all of us over the last few weeks and months, I think, sort of, I've been feeding off what we saw in Vienna at the back end of last year, but I increasingly feared that was the anomaly. And it very worryingly, we've gone from sort of extremely slow progress with Dominic team to potentially backwards movement. It's really tough to watch him at the moment. Yeah, I, I was quite shocked, actually. I, I saw him play um, against the Peruvian player last week who had such a good run, um, whose name escapes me at the moment, but who was who was excellent and who who, who followed it up with a good win over... That's the one against um, Lorenzo Massetti. He beat him as well. So he's really, really good week for him. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what I'm expecting from Dominic team, but... I found it a tough watch. He 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 doesn't look like he knows. He was just relentlessly slicing his backhand to try to keep it in. It seemed, and I thought, God, this is a tough one, you know. And I I kind of consoled myself by going and watching the ten moments when he's upset the big three in a rally, oh. you know. And there's a, like this compilation video, and I just went and watched that and just did that cheer you up, or air. did that make? Gonna say, did you did feel that consoled how after sad watching it that? Is. It kind of achieved both. It kind of made me feel upbeat, like excited, because it's just such a wonderful video, and it's it's like it's a bit like watching Alcaraz, you know, in that kind of 
breathtaking way. But then, yeah, there is the reminder, the grim reminder that Dominic Team is not that player anymore. And I'm not sure. In fact, I don't think he will ever become that again. And that's really hard to think about. Mm, I'm starting to agree with you. And that's really, that's really tough. It, that really, yeah, that hurts to say. And I hope but, I'm wrong. I just hope he proves me yeah, wrong. Yeah, me too. That. Me too. Um, also from this week, Novak Djokovic today is starting his 377th week as the world number one. And that equals the record of Steffi Graf. So next week, he will become the solo record holder for men's and women's tennis since uh, the rankings started, which is incredible. And I know it's a record that really matters to him and it should matter. You know, it, it's significant. And I know it won't be talked about. It's one of those underrated records, I think, in in tennis probably sh- should be talked about as much as the number of slams, Olympic gold medals, all of that. You know, I always think Rafael Nadal's record of consecutive weeks inside the, the world's top 10, which I know is, is about to come to an end. But that is an underrated record in tennis. Well, this one is just... 377 weeks and to have done it uh, we've had the debate before haven't we what's more impressive the doing it consecutively and staying there or being knocked off the top and continually coming back um but he's had periods where he's done both um and it's it's an incredible record yeah unreal and 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 it is quite different to to Steffi Graf's in in that sense. Steffi Graf's was 377 in a much much shorter time frame, whereas Novak Djokovic's is what over 12 years. And I think well, you know, he's it's 377 and counting, isn't it? Because you know, you would you would be pretty sure that he might even might even get to somewhere like 400, you know, or, or more even the way he's going. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just another example of his longevity being something which generally isn't recognized as much. I realize that we say that a lot and therefore we are probably recognizing his longevity, <laughs> but just generally compared to Federer and Serena and Nadal, because he, because he wasn't the first, we, we, we do maybe take it for granted a bit, but yeah, he's won 10 slams in his thirties. Uh, he's had over a hundred weeks at, at number one in his thirties. And um, yeah, there's, there's, there's just no letting up. It's amazing. And that's it for your news from the week that was in tennis. Um, I don't know why I said that so wistfully. This week will be good too. Uh, but we do need to get the show off the road because Billie Jean has just broken into a bag of Lily's Kitchen uh, beef and turkey food, dried food. So if you can hear munching in the background, that is what's going on. Um <laughs> we do still have time I think <laughs> slow down Billie Jean time to tell you that our mascot this week for this episode is Simona Halep the cat uh, Natalie Price tells us Simona is a beautiful white and grey ragdoll cat 18 months old born in Headley Surrey her mother belongs to my best friend from friend from school also called Catherine same church, same pew. Uh, Simona has a twin brother called Rafa Nadal and a canine brother called Boris. Who Boris named after? You got Rafa Nadal, Simona Halep, and but, right, yes, 
Yes. <laughs> but why not both names? You've got Simona Halep, Rafael Nadal, and just, you know, it's like Prince, I, mean, I suppose. I, I'm only guessing, but, you know. Mm. Well, anyway, she's beautiful. Rag, <laughs> ragdoll cats are gorgeous. They totally live up to their name. You can just sort of, you pick them up and they literally just, every every muscle in their body flops and they just go limp in your arms and like okay let's cuddle now um yeah they're lovely and simona is lovely she's looking at me right now she's standing underneath an orchid and uh it's all just loveliness so thank you simona and thank you natalie uh we have our mascots david has Maisie. i have Zenya, and matt has darwin uh, Billie oh, Jean, the uh, ravenous Billie Jean, is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Our top folks and, and executive producers are Jamie, Hannah and Drew. Hello to them. And we have shout outs or rather more shout outs because we've already had Jordan Holt being <laughs> awarded a first round win at the US Open last year. Who else have we got, Matt? Big win. <laughs> we have got Lauren McLean, who is in Edinburgh. Hello, Lauren. Hello, Lauren. I once covered like a Lauren Davis. Champions Tour event in Edinburgh as well. Not a hugely successful event, but a, a lovely city. Nope. That was the one was where the one they... Rained with a they, roof. They, <laughs> they, they, they splashed out on a roof because, you know, it's it's Scotland and it was an outdoor event, but the roof wasn't big enough for the tennis court. No. <laughs> it was a problem. Rained all weekend. Anyway, lovely city. Thank you, Lauren. We've also got Reggie. No, is it not, the, is not it the, the Reggie. Well, listen, the shout out has put Reggie and I'm taking it as the <laughs> Reggie. <laughs> I have new information about Reggie courtesy of this shout out Reggie says I was a ball boy at Wimbledon a few years ago but didn't go back for a second year because I wanted to spend more time watching the tennis the podcast was the only way I managed to keep up with what was going on that year well that profile fits doesn't it age and geography wise for the Reggie yeah and honestly I feel you, Reggie. I I used to never apply for a job at Wimbledon because I w- I didn't want to be working in the catering. I wanted to be watching the tennis. So I feel like I'm on a level with Reggie. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. We love Reggie. It's, it's a, a great thing. thing. We love Reggie. <laughs> Hello, Reggie. We're not even going to bother naming other tennis Reggies because A, we can't, and B, you're the only one. Reggie, one of a kind. Who's a, this? Is a tough act to follow, isn't it? Who's our Who's our third and final shout out? Well, our final shout out uh, comes from Aditya Joshi, and Aditya says, "I've been a friend of the podcast for the past year now, but I haven't found the right occasion to give my shout out. However, recently my grandfather passed away." And I felt there was no better time. I've watched and loved tennis for the past 15 years now. And I owe a large part of that to him. Some of my fondest memories were staying up late into the night watching Wimbledon on our small TV in our apartment in Mumbai. But none of that mattered because we created a joyous atmosphere amongst each other's company as we tried to see who could take down Roger Federer or Serena Williams. So shout out to my grandfather, 
Mardav, a huge tennis fan and an even bigger sports fan. Oh, that's I did hear that is lovely and uh, very, very moving and a uh, a gorgeous tribute to your grandfather. So I'm sorry for your loss, but um, sounds like quite a man. And um, he got you into tennis. So that's a life well lived, I reckon. So um, thank you for supporting the podcast and for that lovely tribute. That's um, that's a really lovely way to end the pod. Billie Jean has returned. Full full belly. Don't have to give her dinner now. Great. She's, she's feeding herself. Self-sufficient dog. Brilliant. <laughs> it's like a protest at the level of level of care she's getting, as if my whole day doesn't revolve around her. Absurd. I'll just sort anyway. myself out, shall I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is, but she looked at me, whined. She's... She whined right the way through our piece about what's his chops winning his first match in Delray Beach and then just went, all right, I'll help myself then. <laughs> oh, she's doing that podcast thing. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to go see if I can tempt her with some organic chicken, see if she'll uh, <laughs> she'll deign to eat that. Uh, it's been a pleasure, folks. Always a pleasure. Can't wait to do it again next week. Uh, and in two weeks' time, we will all be on a plane to Indian Wells, we all and David's golf clubs and Matt's golf clubs also, I think. Yes, we can, absolutely. We can make the I, I need, to, need to get myself down to the range so I'm not embarrassed. Two weeks and counting, folks. We'll be there thanks to One Location. We can't wait and we'll be back next week to round up all the uh, events that we've just told you about that are happening and to further look forward to Indian Wells. We'll speak to you then. 